Hey, this is Rob, and welcome to question number 69. What's the halo effect? It's my conversation with one of my closest friends, Tim Gugadon. Man, I love the way this guy thinks. Tim and I met in college. He's a killer electric guitar player. We spent time on the road touring together for a long time. And now, Tim, alongside still playing electric guitar, is working for the coffee company Caribou Coffee. If you live in anywhere in the Midwest, or I would even almost say even in America, you know what Caribou Coffee is. Tim has been roasting for Caribou, and I love the way he thinks about stuff. We constantly have deep conversations. Uh, but here's the deal. This, this is why I'm so pumped about this conversation. Tim, a few, how oh, I, I almost want to say a year ago, Tim mentioned, uh, this theory he has, this phrase, palate over perception. And it was such a fascinating concept to me. It was so important that I just, I pulled out my notepad that I always keep on me and I wrote it down. And for the past year, I've been, I, that, that, that phrase palate over perception has kept popping up in my mind. And I decided finally, Hey Tim, why don't we sit down and have a conversation about it? I made a French press. So what is palate versus perception. What is the halo effect and how does that affect yours and my preferences in so many aspects of life, our decision-making and our tastes? I heard a sommelier talk about wine once where he said, a great wine can make an average moment great and a great moment can make an average wine great, if that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, the halo effect. We call it, that's what we say in coffee. What's the halo? As far effect? as a great moment making something average, like an average coffee. Yeah. So the best example is people that are on vacation in like perfect picturesque part of Kona, and they're drinking Kona coffee. There is really good, the good Kona coffee, but there's a lot of subpar Kona coffee because it sells itself just off the name yes. for the most part. And so you're at this resort or whatever, you're sitting on the beach, and it's the first time you've ever taken a sip of Kona coffee, and you're just like, this is amazing. Uh, this is the best coffee. <laughs> it's it's know, the best you coffee also have to be I've ever had in my- paradise. Maybe yes. you're up in the mountains, you got a yes. cool breeze on you. Like, yes. You know, like, that's a halo effect. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. What are you asking? You talking to me? What are you? Hot quiz, hot shot. Expect me to talk? For those of you that happen to be joining us for the very first time, my name is Rob Morgan, and for the past decade, I've been traveling the world as a bassist and music director, and this is my podcast, where I sit down over drinks on location with intriguing people I've met to try and get past what it is they do, to find out who they are, why they do it, and what I can learn from them. I'm joined, as always, by my wife, my friend, Sarah. I'm making hash. Sarah is making hash. She is currently cutting up some marijuana. Anyways, no, Sarah is making dinner right now. She's making Brussels sprouts, which, by the way, I think it's funny that I, anytime I mention 
that you are making in the middle of making dinner, I should just stop doing that and people can assume somewhere, somewhere, around, somewhere around the time of dinner time at home. Uh, which is the worst time. I want to dive right into this conversation with my friend Tim Gugadon. But before I do, I have two requests. If you've been following along with this podcast and you have found any of these conversations I've had with the guests enlightening, entertaining, inspiring, my first request is to share it with a friend. Sarah, you do this all the time with me. If you, I think one of the coolest things in a friendship uh, between curious people is sharing cool things you've come across multiple times. Yeah, like today you texted me, Sarah, an article uh, that was just actually just a funny article. If one of if you found one of these conversations enlightening and you think of a friend that would benefit from it, send it that send it their way. And secondly, if you have not done so already. If you've got a couple seconds, we would massively appreciate it if you head over to iTunes and rate, comment, and subscribe. Five stars only. On this podcast, that helps us out a ton. Or, I guess there's a third thing I'm just throwing out there. I would love. I just want to make this podcast less of a conversation between me and just the guests, and a conversation between me and you. So reach out. Text the podcast hotline. I would love to hear from you where you're listening to this podcast. Uh, feel free to send me a picture. Send me a selfie. Uh, or just where you're at in the world listening to this. Speaking of community and conversation with this podcast, this last week, one of the Daily Guinness episodes was the rally around Ruby. And I said on that episode that I was giving away one of the bracelets that we talked about on that episode. If you haven't checked it out, go give it a listen. But shout out to Natalie Cromwell, who hit me up on Instagram. She won the bracelet. It's headed your way. But that just gets me pumped. That's just one of the ways this podcast has been a conversation. Another way is uh, my goal of this is I want to meet up with as many of you as possible. So the way I'm doing that is on my own personal website. Maybe I'll do this even on thecuriouspod.com. Uh, I should? You should. Okay, yeah. Head over to thecuriouspod.com slash let's cheers. And I have put up my schedule right there uh, where I'm going to be the rest of 2019. I'm going to be over in Europe and all across America starting the beginning of October. And I would love to meet up with you and just hang out in person. Who knows? You, uh, if the conversation's right, if the moment, if the spirit leads, you might even be part of one of the daily Guinness episodes. But more so than that, I just want this to be a conversation uh, between you and me. So hit me up, uh, thecuriouspod.com slash contact, the podcast hotline, or over on Instagram at at therobmorgan. That's all my social media stuff. And just let me know where you're going to be, if we're going to be in the same city, and I would love to meet you. All right, that's all I got. Let's dive into it. My conversation with my good friend, Tim Gugudan. Dude, here's what I want to hear. You pick your brain about, and this is why I think this this hangout that you're over here is the like perfect time for us to. It's like the perfect uh, analogy or example for what I want. I've been meaning to chat with you about the palate over perception idea. Mm. Like you said that months ago, uh, and I wrote it down. And literally, I see palate over perception 
Oh, just about once a week because I pull the, I just, when I'm looking through my notes, do you oh, okay. stir by the way on this? Yeah. Or at least break it up or yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, like, do you remember talking about that? Is that yeah. like a regular thing in your vocabulary? Yeah. Or at least internally. Yeah. Okay. What is palate over perception? I'm putting well, you on the spot by the way. I yeah, love this. Fine. For me, it's first is in the context of food. Um, or coffee, actually, for that matter. Maybe more coffee than food. Or I guess they're the same thing, because it's both involve your palate. But for me, it's the idea of like pushing or, what's the right word? Prioritizing palate over perception. Yes. Um, or at least being able to. Not yes. that you have to like, you know, look through that lens all the time. But like, yeah, yeah just that idea to like to like, it's almost like a, like grounding yourself or like grounding the way you're experiencing things and remembering, you know, this like tuning in your palate over just the perception of what's going on. Yes. Um, so, okay. Like the coffee thing, what made me think about this is, um, I mean, a good example is now we're in the trend, like an example of the whole palate over perception is recognizing the things that are impacting our judgment on it. Like, Ooh, like uh, it's uh, that conversation I had with you made me think of, uh, if I'm if I'm sitting drinking coffee and I'm like, oh, this is the best coffee I've ever had. Well, what is it that is it really the best tasting coffee I've ever had, mm-hmm. or what other things are impacting yeah, my uh, my opinion, like almost impacting my palate, right? Yeah, perception it, is a big part of flavor. Yeah. So I guess palate would have to do with taste, and like so first you have to build on. There's only five tastes. And, and everything, right? That's the taste. The, the, the palate is the sweet, sour, yeah, salty, yeah. savory. I'm pouring our coffee right now. Bitter. So I'm stepping away. Um, so those are actually just... That's almost... That's what makes up the palate side of it. And then perception will... You perceive different flavors. And we talk about this in the coffee world oh, all the time. Oh, yes. Tell, okay, tell me about that. Because I think we might be translating this differently right now. And I want to hear your... Okay. Tell me about the flavor perception. Well, so I think it's like, it's multi, like that. It, I think where we're about to go with this conversation is like the word perception, but, but all flavor is perceived because there's okay. only those, there's only those five tastes and various combinations of things that make that ta- those tastes. Um, so I, one thing I've learned in doing, thank you, like a lot of cupping. Okay. At the end of every day of roasting, we yeah. do a ton of cupping. What is cupping? Yeah. So. I'll try to break this down really quickly. At work, we have four roasters, and each roaster is going to be doing a variety of coffees, and there needs to be a sample of at least one of each of the varieties from each roaster. Yeah. So there'll be like four X blend, you know, to whatever single origin from this roaster, one from that roaster. So we make a little cup at the end of the day for quality purposes, and yeah, we taste each one. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. like the right color with just the guess the guess of how much you're going oh, yeah. um in coffee uh there's there's so many chemistry components but some of the big ones lactic yeah. acid which really only come from like a natural process or really fermented coffee citric acid everyone knows mm-hmm. what that tastes like yeah but does it taste like lemon or orange like it's just citric acid. It's not lemon or orange in the coffee. It depends on when you, it hits your palate, 
what it makes you think of. You so know? to you, Why it could total, it could be the exact same chemical, but for mm-hmm. you, you could translate it and so, say, oh, this yeah. tastes like this. this so the lactic like, acid, yeah. I might taste strawberry jam. You taste blueberry jam, whatever. Like yes. there's no blueberries or strawberries in there. You know, like it's that it's probably coming from a lactic acid combined with a bunch of other things. But like, yes. you know, like you know what a blueberry and strawberry tastes like because a, that's a very specific combination of things. Yeah. B, because you know what it's supposed to taste like. So that's where like flavored things come into example. Like a, a, a strawberry syrup has zero yes. strawberry in it. Yeah. But it tastes like strawberry. A couple of weeks ago, we were doing aroma tests or like odor tests. So we got all these numbered bottles. Yeah. And a sheet of paper numbers match. You're matching, you know. Smell yeah. The, smell the number, mat, like write down which one you think it is and there was a bunch of stuff like that where you're just like i know what this is but what you, you know what is it what is it you keep smelling and then something would trigger memory like oh it's just like putting a whatever jolly rancher in my mouth yes and then you know surprisingly i got a bunch of them switched like fruits yeah like apple and apricot switched like but it was it's an interesting like world when and you get in that flavor. world where you're professionally like your job part of your job is tasting something and remembering what it tastes like. Yeah. Well, and part of the test was, so our lead roaster, he's working on his like certification to be a curator. So to like essentially officially score coffee to where it would matter on a business level for the producer. Yes. You know, like you're, because we score coffees all the time at work, but that's just internal. We're using the same, the same scoring method as the SEA, whatever. Yeah. But like, it's just internal. Our green buyers actually score coffee and it essentially matters to that vendor, the, the score that they give it. Yes. So, so that's one what they're person, doing. <laughs> yeah. So one person. Yeah, there's there's someone, like three guys. Someone. There are these three guys that are tasting coffee. Can is going to change someone's life, so, right? Of like of yeah, like the farms they're buying from is going to story, He was like uh, scoring a blender. So okay. that meaning, uh, one we're just going to use as a component. We're not going to roast it mm-hmm. as a X single origin, whatever. And he, you know, the, the, the coffee scoring system, if you're in the mid 80s, that's a really good coffee. Once yes. you get to even like low 90s, that's like people are, you know, paying out the butt for that coffee. Yes. Um, so we look for like low 80s to mid 80s for components because they don't have to be, they're going to get blended. Yes. And they that have a purpose. A they need origin. to fit a purpose. Yep. And so he was t- talking about his coffee. He scored it an 87, which is really high. And then okay. we rejected it. Yes. So they told the vendor, like, because it wasn't shipped yet. We, they, we sample stuff, various stages of shipment, yes. rejected it, but scored it high. And he was like, you should be selling this for more to someone. Dude. Which was yes. a really cool thing to do because yeah. it was like, we could have bought it at the price. But what we're just, looking for doesn't yeah. fit. And we could have just been like, well, this is really good. So let's buy it at this price. You yeah. know? So it was really cool of them to do that. But all, and also that feedback actually technically mattered. Like, they, that vendor was then able to sell it for more money because of the score that they Because the score it did, even though Caribou didn't buy it. Right, they rejected it. And Dude, okay. Because we're like, we don't need this. You should sell it for more to somebody else. <laughs> I'm going to get really freaking like cheesy with this. But that when you say that, my link goes to how oftentimes in life uh, we 
I don't okay, I'm, let's like musically, right? Let's think about something where you're trying to get like a gig or some you're applying for something, whether it's a job or a gig or something, and you're just bringing yourself and you are not a good fit. And someone says no. Instantly, for some reason, as humans, at least for me, it's been so hard to get to the point that says, am I the right thing for this? Yeah. Without letting, if this doesn't work out, if this gig doesn't line up, or some situation doesn't line up for me to, to be selective for it, it's not meaning I'm a shitty bass player or person, whatever it is. Yeah. I might just be wrong for mm-hmm. what it is they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that with music, and then also because I'm obsessed with like food and cooking, mm-hmm. I watch every cooking show I can like on Netflix, even if it's a competition show, which I don't usually like, yeah. like Chopped and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but I, I heard this thing most likely on NPR about competitions in our culture and people forget, I think this relates because people forget that like those competitions just mean that they're, they were the best at winning that competition, you know? So (laughs) even like the voice or or American Uh, Idol, all that means is that that person was the best person at winning that competition. It doesn't mean they're the best singer. doesn't mean on the great British baking show, the person that got eliminated wasn't a good baker, you know, like, man, just means that they weren't necessarily good at winning that competition. Yes. It means nothing about this person. Yeah. It, it, in the end of it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, it it means something to that specific context. I'm pulled myself back in everyday conversation for not uh, shitting on those shows, like the competition shows, because I really hate them. Uh, but now I realize, okay, it's just entertainment. It has this play. It's a show that a lot of people like. Yeah, uh, but I for me it's there's no holdings on if you or weight is the word I'm looking for weight yeah. on whether like your actual skill right. if you are actually a good singer if you can make it in the world. Oh, see, I'm even rambling right now because I'm getting heat. I'm like, I hate this yeah. shit. I mean, it's it's kind of destructive for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, anyway, um, you're uh, just that's a massive digression. But I just that's what made me think of when you were talking about them not buying something. Oh, yeah, sure. My problem where I'm at right now in life is that mu- oftentimes in music, you say you'd sit down, say I brought out a bass. It was like a vintage bass. It had this look, and it was like an old, like 60s. Yes, totally. And it, it, like, it looks, someone will say, I love, they won't, they won't say it right off the bat, but in someone's mind, they will like the sound of that instrument before they even hear it played, right? Yeah. And the same goes with pedal boards. We're in this like boutique pedal board world oh, where yeah. people are, you know, you pull out your massive pedal board and they all, all these See, expensive like a pedals. A couple Strymons, a Klon. Yes. Like, oh, you know this person's legit. Yes. Okay. Like a Klon pedal, that over that legendary overdrive. That is, so you have that on your pedal board and whether it's on or not, someone goes, oh yeah, that guy, he's got great tone. And it has nothing to do with their, their musical palette. It has everything to do with their perception. Yeah. And I, that really bums me out. Um, and it's worked in me for like, it's almost worked in my detriment. Like you came over to to check out the Helix, right? Helix, this new digital uh, board. Because I'm so aware of per- people's perception, to me, the, Hel- with the sound I can get out of a Helix is the way I love a bass to sound live. The th- way I can dial that in. But me pulling that out instead of pulling out my other pedal board that has all my cool analog pedals, the, the massive board, that said something. You know what I mean? Like to people, yeah. my bass instantly sounds better to people whether or not that's plugged in or not. Yep. 
Uh, and, um, and it, it was like an ego hit when I started bringing out the, the helix. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, now this says something. Yeah. Is, I, I had to get over that. Like, I don't care what people think. Um, Plus it's like, does that yeah. make sense? It's no, sense it all? makes total sense. Cause like, e- like what we were talking about, say 10 years ago, and of course the technology was different, but like if I saw somebody with something like the Helix, like it wasn't, it wasn't quite 10 years ago, maybe, maybe it was, but boss made something that was like everything you could have in one like multi-effects processor. Yeah. And I remember hearing like when I lived in Nashville, so it wasn't that, it wasn't 10 years ago, but it was like people were using it in studios yeah. Like big time. And really what it comes down to is older players, like 40s. Yes. Who, who like like the legit studio cats. Yeah. But you would never see like someone in their 20s using one live because it wouldn't say something like what you're saying. You know, it's like even though technically like someone who is like oh, far beyond them yes, as a player, like, they're this. using it in, the, in like a famous studio. Yeah. They're using it every day because it just gets the job done so much better than... Yes. Like what I was talking about, I'm tired of like noisy cable or having to redo a cable, resolder, re whatever, you know, like, yeah, it's like, uh, oh, here's a, this is a story I like to tell um, because it, it was, it, it just resonated with me for some reason. But uh, we've talked about this before, but a producer. How are you doing on time by the way right now? This totally, is, totally oh fine. Gosh, I don't have to work till 7.30 tomorrow. I stay up all night. <laughs> um, <laughs> love that sentence yeah uh he'd been like professionally working since like i want to say the late 80s or early 90s doesn't really matter but a long time um wasn't old but older than you know at the time i was like 26 27 yeah probably 20 years older uh i was just essentially just listening to this conversation and he was talking about digital recording and the evolution of that and just how he's like it's almost all younger producers engineers that want to go back to tape. But he was like, those are actually people that weren't ever using tape when it was the only option. Yes. And didn't get that transition to like that. Then like, just oh, like, it's so it's much easier. Unbelievably the- life-changing when digital recording became a thing. Yeah. And so it's almost like, yes, there might be some sonic qualities that you can narrow down that like tape does this better, that better. And that's true. But he's just like, the other stuff just far outweighs it, like the workability, like the actual, like yeah. getting, getting the job done. Yes. You know, and this person in the genre and the context was a big time, Yeah, you know. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, it's where kind of with the pedal board thing, like a younger producer, up and coming, whatever engineer would be like, oh no, yeah, we cut everything to tape. And like, oh, totally. Because that says that like, that's a cool image. Dude, oh. okay, that's okay. The fact that you said that right there is everything. The fact it's because what I the what I've been trying to think about as we're talking is how to convey the thought that what I'm not what I don't think either of us are trying to say is that um, there isn't a quality or like a tape, for example, like recorded warmth, like recording to tape does something. Listening to something on vinyl, like these analog things, or I mean, I've been diving into film photography. It does something sometimes that you can't get. So I'm not, it's not knocking that there isn't a quality thing or an aesthetic or a feel or something you can get with that. It's all about what you just said to me, where you said the fact that people have to say, oh, we recorded on analog. Like this whole, a whole album's recorded on analog tape. That right there is your, the acknowledgement that other people will hear. Oh, 
Oh, cool. And they're not there. You're not doing it just for the sake yeah. of the sonic quality. Yeah. The fact that you say, oh, this so is all recorded. Say you did it. So you can say you did it. That when it gets in there and not that you shouldn't talk about it. I think it's just that it's the kind of the intention. Yeah. The intention behind it or the acknowledging that, I don't know, or just being, yeah. a, maybe it's just being aware of it that yeah, I just don't. Uh, well, and a good example, like speaking of Roasters Guild. So this thing I went to. Mm-hmm. The SEA Coffee Roasters Guild retreat, technically a retreat. There's a lot of partying, but also classes and things like that. Yeah. And so a company like ours, our smallest production roaster, is the batch is uh, like 260 pounds of green coffee. And compared to some of our bigger ones, that's really small. Yeah. But then compared to the vast majority of people here, that's crazy. They're roasting like a pound or two to, to 10 at a time. Um, and a lot of people in the, the hip coffee world, and when I say hip, it really boils down to younger people. Okay. It's, it's kind of, it's quite interesting because I think it relates to music. Maybe it's just an art thing yeah. in general. Oh, like how do you get coffee to be good when you're roasting that much at one time? You know, it's kind of like, uh, and I'm somewhat new at it. So I'm like, I don't know, because we just make it work and it tastes good. You know, like it, <laughs> yeah, totally. and so one of the first classes I went to was the, the, the art and chemistry of roasting. And they introduced the guy who's going to teach the class. A German guy used to be the vice president or something that like probot. Okay. Like, Probot essentially was called something else in the 1800s, invented the drum roaster. Like, invented okay. the design of roaster that it's still used to this day. There's other types, but nothing. It's almost like the Chemex. Nothing's ever going to beat it, most likely. Yeah. Not, just like no one's ever going to reinvent the electric guitar pickup. It's, yeah, it's like for me, it's like the P bass. Yeah. It's been invented. That There'll is be other the, stuff, but there's yeah. nothing that's ever really going to yeah, beat it. Yeah, you can't improve on that. Um, minus, you know, maybe not. Just being technical, but maybe if you find a way to not use gas, like there are other options of roasting. That's okay. But still, it's probably going to still be in a drum. Yeah. Uh, he's teaching the class. This is this was awesome. It's a great experience for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he actually just opens up the class. I just want to say, he's like he tells his life experience. You know, he's like I've you know worked in places where I roasted like a million pounds in a week, or he's like this last couple of weeks I've roasted like five pounds of coffee. You know. Yeah. He's like. Whether you're roasting 600 grams or 1,000 pounds, he's like, it doesn't make a difference. Like, it depends on how you roast it, if it's going to taste good or not. Which, <laughs> Which just instantly... Just, I just thought that was hilarious because that's that's like a big thing in the world. It's like, oh, and it, it almost comes down to, so you can put on the bag, like, small batch roasted. Yes. But Which, yeah, that's, I think the small batch roasting is... If you're a small roastery, then you have a small roaster. That makes that's yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. it, you know, like there's this idea that it's like if oh, because people think that oh, caribou. I've had people say like oh, so you're like it's pretty much all just automated. You're roasting then I'm like no, like the, the one I use the most is like from the 1960s. <laughs> there's nothing automated about it. Like yeah. in fact, it barely works. I think we're gonna have to get a new one. One of them. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's so funny. But I think it's the same thing. It's just so that you can present the image of small yeah. batch roasting. Dude, I think yeah. of a bottled and bond a whiskey. I don't even know what that means, but I, I've seen it on a bottle a bunch. I don't yeah, know, like I don't bottled and bond, it's a, it's a bourbon reference. You Typically, typically you're going to see it in that. And what it comes from is back in the uh, back in the old days when people were distilling, distilling whiskey, they would just say how many years it was or they'd say oh this is this age or whatever but there was no way to prove uh, how old it was so to prove that what they would do is that they would uh 
they would distill whiskey, put it in a barrel, and then they would take those barrels and hand it over to the police, essentially. And they would, they would, the, the government would then take it and store it. And I can't remember if it was actually behind bars, but they had it in their own warehouses and it was signed and dated. So it was legally, you had legal proof that the whiskey you were drinking was 10 years old because it was bottled in bond. Like bond, like a bail bond, like bail bond. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it was handed over and there was legal, uh, there's legal proof with it. But now, in 2019, they, we have records for everything, and there's no way you can lie about something because everything's so closely monitored. Yeah, sure. So anytime you see a bottle modern bottle of bond, really it's only gimmicky. Sure. And I think some people are... I some Sometimes, I don't know if you can legally say that if it isn't. I think sometimes... Well, there has to be some process thing. That gets maybe in a different area of the warehouse, and it's kept yeah, track it's of. probably a, not FDA, because that would be... Who would be the Food. ATF? Yes, but maybe, maybe ADA, maybe FDA since people are consuming it, but or a combination of the two. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's probably just some regulation, and it has no. So there's, if you see that, it's purely gimmicky, and people still do it because it says something. Yeah, because it has a statement on there. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love. I mean, people are now getting into like Japanese whiskeys, and I think a big reason for the reason Japanese whiskey is so big right now, number one, because it's good. But is because they are they don't give a single crap about the single barrel uh, single malt titles. M- the majority of it is blended because in Japan the whole culture behind whiskey is we are going to make this whiskey taste as good as we can, and in their opinion that's coming from blending it a certain way. So yeah, which it's not. Na- it, that's interesting to me because I think now Japan has risen so high in the culinary world because of stuff like that because it's not because it's a popular food which it is right now but it's because the reason why japanese food is so good is because of, there's always been that level of intent behind it yes like to, I mean, to oh. serve something to someone that and it's the best or there's some reason you know depending on the type of culinary context yes. it's in same with instruments right like that's yeah. why J- japan has produced some of the best instruments even though it was being done to save money it then it turned out that they were, like a lot of these factories were becoming better than the American factory. Dude, it's in, yes, I mean you're saying with the Japanese thing. I like ramen in Minneapolis. Ramen is so trendy, and it's good. Minneapolis has some killer ramen now, but you're not going to get a bowl of ramen in Minneapolis for under what twelve, thirteen bucks. Yeah, but you can have pho, which to me, like a good pho, holds up to good ramen. Too, and you can get a good a good pho for maybe like five seven bucks yeah, in town at some like hole because it hasn't been because but it, it's this I, I'm, I don't see what I'm I'm still having a hard time because I don't want this to be like a, it's not knocking because I still it's my favorite thing to go eat is ramen but there's some part of that where I'm wondering if it's the trendiness of it is why we're why is it it's so expensive or is it I think so I mean part of it is. Probably because in a more modern kitchen, people are getting paid more and, you know, cost of goods are higher if you're getting, depending on how you're sourcing your stuff. But part of it, certainly people like, you'll sell it for whatever people will pay for it. Yes. Um, Oh, which this is, this is a super digression. Oh yeah. But, uh, so I started listening to the Dave Chang show, which is super interesting. Yes. Um, 
but on one of his TV shows, uh, he was in Houston and no. older Vietnamese gentleman who had a restaurant. Um, and he was making some classic, what we think of as classic Vietnamese dishes like pho and, you know, uh, broken rice, noodle salad, stuff like that. Um, but he's making some other, his own riffs on things. And Dave Chang was just like, you could be selling this for like $25 a plate instead of like $7, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's part of it is like the, the per, you know, the perception, but he, yes. was, he, he wanted to keep his place like old school looking and, yeah. and not really related to that, but it was, I just thought this was really cool. And he just, the, the old, the older man was like, no, no, no. He's like, I just, you know, I was only able to do this and like to be alive right now because of America. Cause he had kind of, you know, left yeah. the Northern part of Vietnam. So he's like, this is just my way to say, thank you is to not ever raises because he hasn't raised his prices in like x amount of years and yeah he just figures out how to make it work you know oh my gosh that was really cool dude, because that's, that's super not, cool yeah that was a cool moment but dude that oh we're uh, no one to interrupt you no sorry we're gonna go say something i was but it's, yeah no it's that one here so the first episode of the dave chang show not he starts with like these pre-show diaries because he's it's kind of mm, started when mm-hmm. he was opening a new restaurant so this is a little different than the first episode ryan johnson and I kind of miss it. It sounded maybe like his partner, but anyway, uh, a film. She used to be a film critic. Okay. They didn't say the name of her podcast, but it's it's like it sounded like because it was one she had a series about Ted Bundy. So it's not uh, serial, but it's like something like that. Was making murder, making a murder, making murder, I, making a murder. It might be Karina something or another. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So she was a film critic for L.A. Times or like something yes. big time in, in L.A. So oh, maybe she did S Town. Maybe okay. So okay. before she remember, did a yeah. podcast, that was her yeah. own thing. And then Ryan Johnson, you know, director, movie director. Yeah. Um, which was really cool because I was like, oh, the title was like reviewing Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Okay. But they barely talked about it. Oh yeah, yeah. They talked a lot about criticism. So, I, you know, I haven't listened to much of his show yet. I've listened to all the pre-diaries because that was all about restaurants. Yeah. Like that was, that was kind of cool. But this episode, like, they talked about criticism and he, you know, Dave was, like, really relating the two with, like, movies. and Yes. So, obviously, music and food, you know, so obviously music falls into that. But so going back to, a little bit back to, like, perception, Ryan Johnson said something really cool because they were talking to Karina about, reviews and actually when people don't like your reviews like criticizing your reviews you know and, oh yeah and the, this and that people and are like, reviewing reviews now yeah we're, and we're, like, in the, we're in like such a metal world online. Yeah. <laughs> and she was talking about you know writing a good review or like or being honest and writing a scathing review this and yeah that. and then ryan johnson added this cool thought where he was just like to him as a filmmaker um he's like a person doing a film review isn't actually a good review is really being good at storytelling and relating the experience that that person had while in the theater because he's like yes they're not reviewing your they're not judging your skills as a film director necessarily they might be yeah but he's like that's not a good review because their experience was totally different than other people's experience so he's like that's kind of yes and they were talking about like with food it's tough because when a food critic goes and does a review they have that meal to do it on. You don't really go back and miss. Maybe you go back years later. Yes. But like a m- music or a movie, you can actually keep going back and like your review could be totally different if you watch the movie five times or one time. Yes. But and there's you'll so never many get other, that same plate yeah. of food again. And know? there's so many things in the moment that can affect your opinion of it. Right. Which like I if think you is the like you go zone. into I, I think of a critic. That's why it's so important. I'm having such a hard time right now. Um, 
I'm having such a hard time right now picking out a book because uh, when we're going to Amsterdam this month, this next month, I love reading a novel that takes place in the city that I'm oh, going to. That's really cool. It's like my, yeah. it's my, it's, it's been my thing. So I've been looking for a book and it's been so hard because of people's criticisms and people are led the majority of when I'm trying to figure out, I want, I want to figure out the, I have a specific thing I'm looking for, a vibe of a book that I want. I want to be a certain kind of easy reading, uh, fun, lighthearted thing that I'm looking specifically for this thing. But I am having such a hard time finding that because people's opinions are so biased. Oh, I didn't like that book. I don't give a crap what you thought about it. Yeah. Tell me information about the book. Yeah. And the same thing goes with there's if that critic went to the movie theater and so many things affect your deal. And I think a good critic can separate those yeah the external the things that and actually sure. it focus on just the palette i think that yeah. your whole movie thing is the perfect example yeah. so of, uh, yeah. she karina gave an example of when she saw glorious bastard she saw it okay yeah at cons do you want some more water by the way oh uh, yeah sure she said she like had to she you know she didn't get much sleep she had to get up at like six in the morning because it was playing super early i don't know how it works but she said she had to wait in line for like almost two hours Oh, so I don't know if you have to like try to get into films or like, you know, I don't know how that works. But anyway, and thank you. And so she was like, it, she didn't give it like a great review because of that, of all those external things. Not because, and then she actually then revisited it. It was a while because she said she doesn't like to go back, you know, because then that'd be a constant if you go back and like second guess your review, like, like oh, interesting. But she actually did like a couple of years later. Oh, she doesn't like, like to that. go back and re- like review yeah, her own like review. Once you've done it, it's like, it's out there. You can't really, mm-hmm. yeah. But, and then she like, I respect talked that, about, she actually, she wrote, I don't know what, what the word, like an article or opinion article about her review. So she didn't like do another review, but she like, oh, interesting. In the LA Times, yeah. like, you know, and just talked about all the Re- things she Went back missed. and reviewed, yeah. Be- but and because of the experience, you know, so it had nothing to do with oh, the filmmaking. Yes, either time really, like it, the filmmaking was just as good both yeah. times, you know. But she just missed it the first time, even yes. as like a big time professional, yes, movie critic. Like it's just the, that perception is a big part of it. And, Dude, man, I that is the perfect. I would love to read that, Re, like the review of the review, because I think that that's the be perfect. Yeah, I mean that is exactly everything you're just saying now. I feel like we've, is exactly what I'm like wanted to pick your brain about the because I'm my problem with this whole thought of being about intentional with it is that I heard a I heard a sommelier talk about wine once where he said a great wine can make an average moment great or and a great moment can make an average wine great if that makes sense hmm. uh the halo effect we call that's what we say in coffee what's the halo as far effect? as a great moment making something average, like an average coffee. Yeah. So the best example is people that are on vacation in like perfect picturesque part of Kona and they're drinking Kona coffee. There is really good, the good Kona coffee, but there's a lot of subpar Kona coffee because it sells itself just off the name. Yes. For the most part. And so you're at this resort or whatever, you're sitting on the beach and it's the first time you've ever taken a sip of Kona coffee and you're just like, this is amazing. Uh, this is the best coffee. <laughs> it's it's you know, the best you coffee also have I've to be ever had. In mount- paradise. Maybe yes. you're up in the mountains. You got a yes. cool breeze on you. Like, yes. You know, like that's a halo effect. So it's like it makes that what could be an average yes. cup, of, cup of Kona coffee, which some people don't even like because it's not. Yes. 
Dude, that's it. That's ex- oh man, the halo. halo effect. Yeah, that's one of the big perception things. Is where everything else that's going on around you is making something seem better. It's it's kind of like a coffee shop whose name we won't mention in Nashville. <laughs> Who literally, and I didn't believe it. I thought it was just like a like a thing people said to criticize. But then I watched it happen. We'll like pull a shot of espresso and then let it sit for like. Um, I watched a barista put a timer on after the shot was pulled, for about a minute, if not longer. And then after the timer went off, made the latte with the drink or yeah. cappuccino, so that they could get better latte art. I guess if you kind of let some yes. of the nitrogen, it some solidifies. Of this stuff, yeah. Okay, break that down for me because when you uh. I'll, when a shot is pulled, it dies, or what is the term? Yeah, for that's that? what people say. Just because, you know, how long do you crema, have? Like, how long do you have when a shot's pulled? That's a good question. A lot of people say I tend to agree, like sixty seconds. That you need, but maybe to, like thirty seconds. You shouldn't go past thirty seconds. But really, well, uh, sorry, sixty seconds is actually a good time to consume the beverage. So, like, if you're gonna make a macchiato, yeah, like a, a real macchiato, yeah, you, sh- you shouldn't really be drinking that for very long, <laughs> yeah, you know. But especially just if you haven't stabilized it with milk, if it's just sitting there, you don't have that long, like because the second you put it in water or milk, it stabilizes it. Well, yeah, especially milk because there's a lot of like it's so dense and fat, okay. fatty kind of, and then there's air bubbles in milk that are, yeah. But re- regardless, like yeah. espresso, a lot of it has to do with the gases. Okay. That are in there, not just the like. So they, but they intentionally, this high end coffee shop that everybody says is the greatest coffee shop yeah. in Nashville. A lot of people do, yeah. Was swear do, by it. Was doing something that benefits the perception over the palate. Yep. And people will still swear by it. <sighs> a, because a lot of people's palates aren't that discerning, but B, just because perception does have so much to do with it. Dude, this is my favorite thing about doing this podcast. And like, dude, th- this is one of the. Um, this is one of the most valuable things I've ever done in my life because it is like even we have conversations like this all the time over fire or over pipes or Scott whatever it is but like the forcing yourself to sit down and be intentional about having a conversation like this in front of microphone there's no way I would have gotten to learning the halo effect because I started I was like totally stumbling over my wording at the beginning of this conversation we're trying to figure out this palette over perception, but it really, it's just and now that. you got to record it, so you won't. Now I re- if no, you do forget yeah, it, you can totally. Listen to that. And this now, but now I even have a better like a halo effect is yeah. such a better term that's, for yeah, it. That's that's, that's what it's all about. Because you look like you're we're inspired by something. No, I was just thinking like it's kind of cool that we're having this conversation because part of the reason why I was asking you about the helix, yeah, is because a a practical change I wanted to make with pedals. But B, you know, I was talking about how I want to yeah. do more music at home. Yeah. But it, I've, I've actually, without actually using the palette over perception idea, but now thinking about it, I've just been thinking about how much I want to make music and don't care what other people think about it. it especially because I roast coffee for a living now. Yes. I, you know, I don't have to worry about what other people think about it because at this point I would just be making music for the art. Um Yes. Which is great because they were just talking about it on this podcast I was listening to with Dave yeah. Chang when when Ryan Johnson wants to get inspired. And Dave Chang was talking about this too with food. Think about what you, they were saying, like, think about what why you did what you do when you were like a kid and you didn't really, you were the, the reason why you started doing it. Yes. And like revisit that, you know, not. So for me, oh, I think man. about how That's so heavy, in man. the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, music I wouldn't listen to anymore. Mm-hmm. 
but it's music that got me into playing. So like, I, I kind of want to revisit it a little bit. I'm not going to oh, yeah. make that music per se, but like, yes. And, and cause that's where I want to be back at as far as the art. What side. got you into it? Dude, I did that a few years ago. It's really, I don't speak about it cause I'm kind of embarrassed about that, that whole, like my whole music I think history. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, the, my, I think you've told me before and I think you talked about it with maybe Ian. That's right. Yeah, going back. Yeah, going back and listening to people that I the music I thought I li- was listening to at the time I thought was cheesy. Yeah, and I just wrote it off. I was like, oh, it's cheesy. And then revisiting it as an adult and realizing, oh, these were like heavy session players. Yeah, and we're like we're doing like really cool stuff. Yeah, and then I, when I just pure, I let the, my perception go of all the other things that are affecting it on the outside of yeah. what it actually is, the music that I enjoy. I remember when I was in college studying music, if you can call it that. Uh, no, no, I think, yeah. Anyway, um, I used to say that I wanted to, my goal was getting like what I wanted to do in the future. So now, yeah, was to make music that other musicians would want to listen to, which I literally have never done in my entire music quote unquote career. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. But at some point in life, that's what I wanted to do when I was like yeah. late teens, early 20s. In a way, even though I was like in college studying music, I was also just kind of starting to really get into the art of it. Yeah. I think I was doing it before as a thing. Yeah. But like I hadn't actually, you know, what, you know, for me, people's journeys are obviously all very different. It wasn't until I was older and actually studying it in college that I started to like dive into the art side of it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I there I just remember saying that. Okay, all do the you time. do you look at that when you look back, do you think of that as a positive thing? Or look which, back and say thing? they I want to make music that musicians want to listen to. Do you look at that or would you change your uh I think it the importance I of think that? it's a positive thing. I think I would probably it that's a little bit exclusive now looking back. Yeah. Because that sounds like I want to make music that really only musicians will get. That's okay. I don't think that was the intent, but it does kind yeah. of sound that way now. But, but basically, I think the idea was I wanted to make music like that was interesting art, not that's gonna like have me have a successful career. Which yes. I know you hear artists talk about that all the time. That people that that people that value their palettes, like musicians that value what they're actually hearing, or understand. People, or yeah, now it would just be yeah, anyone. that totally it makes have sense. To be okay, musician. I guess yeah. that's where the, the mindset I was in at the time. Yeah, but as far as it, so almost like. Yeah, I just wanted to like make good music. Now, yeah, you know, that's we, what okay. That's what I was asking because I know you as a person, and it, when you first said that, I was like, "Oh, is that like, is that?" It sound when you first said that, my mind went to I want to make music that like almost with the goal of impressing other people. And I know that's mm, not oh, you, I see, I see, and yeah. I know that's not you, and that's why you clarified that's not. It wasn't no, too impressed, yeah, but just yeah. music like pure, like pure music. Yeah, you know, like. Like create an art form. Like there's probably a lot of people that go to art school that don't get to just make art because you have to do stuff for a living, right? Like, you know, at some point in time, I think artists were doing a lot of portraits of rich Mm -hmm. people. That's not what they wanted to do, probably. But they, you know, those those commissions, that's how they made their money, you know. And so obviously there's a million variations of that. We both experienced that. Yeah. You probably way more than me. Uh, But like... You know, like I think the whole time I was doing music, quote unquote, for a living, I probably wasn't ever. There were moments for sure, but like it wasn't the day to day just making good art. That yes. wasn't. You didn't wake up in the morning. 
Yes. Be like, I just, I'm just going to make some good art today. It was yes. like, how can this be beneficial in X, Y, Z? Yes. You're trying, you're chasing down. Okay. Here. All right. The, what it comes down to for me is I'm so pumped about your, your story of the Kona coffee, right? Made me think this is digression. I'm, but we'll come back to this. But when you said that, yeah, my mind, I have this phrase that's, I, I always say with Sarah, and I'll, I've said it with you, I'm like, I'm having a perfect moment. And I'll get those moments with when we're, maybe we're traveling or we're at home, or it doesn't, so it doesn't really matter where I'm at, but where the entire environment or the moment, going back to that, a great moment can make an average wine great. And insert fill in the blank for wine or whatever you want to talk about. It's when everything, I'm just having that perfect moment, and maybe I'm sipping a beer over in Europe, and the temptation is for me to say, instead of acknowledging this is one of my, f- this is such a cool moment in life, and this is I'm so content and and in the moment, I'm grounded firmly in the present, and instead of acknowledging that, the temptation is to say, oh man, this is this the best beer I've ever had in my life. Mm, to put yeah. to to misidentify the moment. And the perception and all the other things that are impacting this, uh, this beer that I'm tasting, or fill in the blank. Uh, I've just found the need to uh, at least personally acknowledge the moment and the, the perception things that are on the yeah. outside of that, right? And the problem is, and this is why, where the whole conversation started, was my, my problem is when i've gone when i've pushed against that and i go well no none of those external things matter i just want to make the best say i was making beer whether for me it's music or bass stuff i want to i want to make the best music possible and that goes into what i want to make music that musicians will appreciate screw everybody else and all the perception things um for me it's it's not that all those external things are bad. It's that when we don't understand that they exist or yeah, don't acknowledge them, or we're overvaluing them over the uh, the the thing that's the whatever the palate side yeah. of it is. Yeah, because like what what we were talking about earlier is that yeah. like perception. I always like to think that perception is a legitimate part of flavor. Uh. Or or you could even go as far as saying that all flavor is perceived. Yeah. Know, so that so you can't Dude, just throw so it out meta. The, you can't yeah, just yeah. throw it out the window. Yeah. Kind of like what you're saying. Yeah. But you also don't want to Yeah, you don't want to sacrifice the quality which would be the palate side. Or ignore so that, that. The, so yes. that the perception is yes. kind of like the the latte thing. We're yeah. That's a, that's like valuing perception over palate. Oh, yes. Because you're you're actually you're actually hurting the quality by letting the espresso shop yes. sit there. Yes. But you actually know it's going to get you the sale. Oh, yes. Because it's going to create the the perception. Dude, this is create. this is why sometimes I think it's hard and a lot of musicians at least and me f- for sure, we forget about the perception side of it and just the pure overall like the beauty of it. Mm. We nerd out, we get like strung up in yep. the details and the mud of it. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so Especially in the sense of music, when you can look at the waves. Yeah. You're actually looking at the waves and you stop listening to the art sometimes. Yeah. If that's like, that's one way to think of it. Like you're staring at the screen on Pro Tools or whatever, and you're looking at the waves, you're looking at the grid and it's like, did you, have you stopped listening to music? (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're just hearing frequencies. You're not actually hearing music anymore sometimes. Like, 
And oh, that's, dude. Yeah, and that's bad, too. Like, yeah. Man, I... Even when you say that, I get I, my brain just goes to you say waves. I'm like, yeah, you just it's like standing in the ocean, and you just when you're so laser focused on trying to like see the details of actual ocean waves, you you miss like the ocean of it, like the big how this fits in the grand scheme of things. Uh, <laughs> and just I, makes me think of my life is like life lessons are so revolved around movies. Uh, oh yeah. So one of my favorite movies growing up is Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, which is actually, is actually a cool movie if you like mm-hmm. even from a filmmaking side if you learn the story about it at all. Yeah. His, his life journey, but he he put in a lot of his own philosophy into the movie. Not you know he wasn't necessarily a great actor, but like yeah. And he just he's teaching this kid. The kid wants to probably learn how to fight, which is why most people you know. But of course, martial arts gets really into philosophy, and he's like he was trying to describe emotional content and he was like, what the kid's like, what is that? And he's like, it's like a finger pointing to the moon. Like, don't concentrate on the finger or you miss all the heavenly glory. That's the line. Yes. And I probably didn't even really get it as a kid, you know, but it's like, well, maybe I still don't get it. Yeah. I think you can, you can apply that however you want, but I think it's kind of like what you're saying. Like you get focused on the wrong thing. Like your, your eyes are technically still pointed at the moon, but you're really thinking about the finger because it was drawing attention to that. Yes. Um, okay, let's end it with this. Because uh, I, I'm as you're, I'm, as I'm thinking about how to end this, I love this. It ended up being like a full thing. Yeah, I just hope that it like will add to experiences. Like I would hate for anybody to like hear that conversation, palette over perception, and just use it as a tool of like, oh, that's just perception. Yes. You know, because that's not the point. But I think it can help add to your experience. Your your overall experience with whether it be coffee or food or whiskey or music or movies. Yeah. Dude, that's because Sarah and I were talking, we, I feel like we're constantly coming back to this thought that the more you know about something, the more you, the more appreciation you get from it or like more value, the more you can, um, yeah, the more you can refine your own palate or understanding about something, then the more you can appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And so I think that's the ex- I think that's the perfect. That's like, the point. Example of it. to it to is like is not to like ruin anybody's moments. Other people that are, yeah, <laughs> using perception to for whatever because again it's a legitimate part of everything really. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's so good, dude. Thanks for hanging out and drinking yeah, coffee with thanks me. For the coffee. That was uh, good. What kind of coffee was it? Like, do you know? Like. Yeah, see, I mean... So we should have tried some before the cream. I forgot about that, but that's all right. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, by the way, this there's an event. Uh, I love the fact that we you tasted the coffee without knowing what it was because that was the ultimate, like, thinking about it instead of, letting it instead of letting something else affect you. Um, Growler, by the way, is doing an event. Have you heard of their unlabeled events? Mm-hmm. They It's a beer tasting. Okay. But none of the beers you taste have labels, so you don't know nice. who makes it, you don't know what it is, and they all have a theme. So they're all, they did an IPA one, this next one is an Oktoberfest theme. And so you're just going around and write, I think they all have a number, and you can write what you think yeah. about it. And then at Sweet. the end, they un- unveil which ones are which. Yeah. And I think it's the most brilliant, I think a blind taste, I think a blind test, taste test oh, yeah. is the ultimate. Well, that's how our cupping thing worked. You oh, had, really? You had 36 Coffees that were numbered. Yeah, yeah. You had an app actually, and you scored them. Yeah. And then you didn't know whose you were scoring. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that yeah, and that's that's always the thing with coffee or whiskey. Yeah. People's people that think they're a connoisseur 
when they're put up blind, it's, it can be it can be tough. <laughs> no, because uh, all those perceptions are taken away if you can't if you don't know you know not all of them, but a lot of the perceptions are taken away. Oh man, do uh, it was Northern Brewer? No, not Northern Brewer. Uh, Northern, Northern, Northern Coffee, Coffee Works. Works. Yeah, they just started releasing their roast. So oh, okay. they're Ethiopian. Oh, nice. It's uh, at Angry Catfish. Ethiopian. Yeah, uh, we've been it. we've been digging it this week. This is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. If you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. <laughs> also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at Rob Morgan, whatever. You, you, you know the drill. All right, enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, <laughs> I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast, or else I'd have to tell you, podcasting makes me thirsty, and nothing quenches a podcast thirst, whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey, Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. All right. That's it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? (laughs) (laughs) Say the most random thing you can think of. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. (laughs) Perfect.